Good morning. I don't know that I actually need to be wired for sound because my voice is usually too loud anyways, but that's okay. How's that? Sound good? Great. Well, it's, it's a real blessing to be here this morning. And uh, this is the second time I've ever preached at Mercy Hill. Still in the first day I've ever been here, though. So. <laughs> and uh, it's great to see some old faces. Datha, how are you? It's good to see you. It's great to see some new faces. And um, it's really good to see what God's doing here. Uh, my name's Todd Casenza, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at Living Word Church over there in Lansing that was a part of uh, helping this work get planted out a little while ago. And uh, Johnny and I actually go way back, and uh, we actually started on staff, I think, right around the same time. And he became youth pastor, serving youth, and um, I became the assistant pastor, serving the assistant. And uh, no, not really. And uh, Johnny and I actually shared a couple of offices right next to each other. And, uh, you know, I told him I wouldn't mention any embarrassing stories or anything. But... uh, I can't help but remember how, you know, in the middle of the day, I'd be like on my knees in the middle of my office with my Bible in my hand. I'd be weeping and crying out to God. And Johnny'd be next door with the youth and he'd be shouting and yelling and just having a good time. I'd go over there. They'd be partying and everything. And no, it wasn't actually, it wasn't all that bad. (laughs) I probably should have spent more time on my knees. But anyways, we had a good time together and we would always talk about and plot how to do some mischievous things like plant churches and stuff, you know. So I'm really blessed to see what God's doing through Johnny and Michelle and the whole leadership team here. It's really awesome. We're, we're really proud of what God's doing here, and we're also proud of you guys too. And uh, I know it's not an easy thing to plant a church and uh, to meet in a smaller room in a little building like this, but um, we see the hand and the favor and the grace of God on you guys. And that's the thing that will carry you through. So... No matter how hard you work, when your mind and your bodies give out, the grace of God and the strength of God will carry you on. So uh, I heard someone say recently that, uh, you know, if we initiate anything out of our own ambition, we'll have to carry it through in our own strength. But if we do something out of obedience to God, he'll carry it through out of his strength. And, and I think that's, uh, that's a very important thing. So it's good to be with you guys this morning. And um, before we get into the word, could I just pray? I always feel like I need Jesus when I have to preach, you know. I just need more of the Lord. So it really helps me just to call on his name. So let's just do that. Lord Jesus, we do say that we love you very much this morning. And we just want to get real and we want to confess our need for for you, Lord, for your grace, for the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and to the work of the Spirit this morning. Lord, we just say, very simply, we want more. Lord, we want more this morning. Thank you for all that we've experienced before today. Lord, it's only made us hungry for more of you. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for everyone in it, Lord, who who loves and serves and Lord, thank you for the good testimony that's being grounded here in Highland through Mercy Hill Church. Thank you for that. God, I pray for these people that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that it wouldn't just be a matter of having nice meetings and 
and uh, ministry programs. God, I pray these people would be so filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. They would be explosive in their heart, in their testimony, and in their desire to share you with others. God, I pray that everyone here would come to know who they are in Christ. And I pray they would know, Lord, how they're uniquely fashioned and shaped with gifts from the Holy Spirit and abilities and skills, Lord, to be unique individuals, God, that really make a difference on this earth. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that. I just proclaim, Lord, that this church will be a church filled with the presence of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that it's your desire and it's your design for us here. And God, as we, um, as we get into the Word for a little bit this morning, God, we ask that your Word would go deep into us and would challenge us, would shake us, Lord, would mold us, shape us. Lord, this morning, all together in agreement, we say that we submit ourselves to the Bible, the holy written Word of God. We thank you for that, Lord. We want to meet you on these pages. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. We just say we wait upon you. Lord, you're worth waiting for. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, we dedicate now the rest of our time to you. Thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know what? Excuse me. I'm, um, I'm learning not to be afraid of silence before the Lord, even publicly. I find that sometimes God moves more powerfully in my silence than he does in my speaking. And uh, waiting silently before the Lord brings a sense of reverence, fear, and awe, which just cleanses us and makes us vessels ready for more of Him. And that's the thing that we want, right? So, um, yeah. So Johnny tells me that you guys are in a series in the book of Ephesians. Let's go ahead and turn there. And... um, I was really excited to hear that you guys are in Ephesians. I think that uh, the book of Ephesians is a very unique and powerful book. It's really a gift, I think, to the mature body of Christ for those who want to go to a higher place in him. And um, I think out of all of Paul's letters, um, the book of Ephesians is very particular because there's some things that we see and some things that we don't see in this book. And uh, a little bit of this I talked about at Echo on Tuesday night. Any Echoers here? Whoop, whoop. whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, so it's really interesting that God has us speaking about Ephesians here all through the week. 
But, um, but if you look at the book of Ephesians, and just by way of introduction, I want to say a few things. What we don't see in the book of Ephesians is a church struggling with a particular sin that we might see in other letters that Paul wrote to other churches. And so we know that the church at Corinth, for instance, was struggling with um, division. And there were issues of sexual sin and all kinds of things going on there. And Paul wrote very specifically to address that. And we don't necessarily see that so bold here in the book of Ephesians. We also don't see Paul addressing heresy straight on. Like in the book of Colossians where they were dealing with uh, a heresy called Gnosticism. We see Paul actually addressing that because it was trying to weave its way like a snake into the church. And so Paul was just addressing that through the things that he taught. And we don't necessarily see that head on right here in the book of Ephesians. So it's a very interesting thing. Now what we do see in the book of Ephesians is the fact that Paul mentions a particular phrase five times that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. And that's this, the phrase, the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms. Depending on what translation you have, it might be um, a phrase that would look like heavenly places or the higher places or something like that. But Paul actually mentions it five times in this one book, and we don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. So in some ways, it's as if Paul is, for these particular people in this church, he's opening up a window into another realm for them to help them to see with eternal eyes into an eternity that God has for them. He's opening up this window into the heavenly realms. I want to say this. The heavenly realms should be more real to us than this earthly realm that we're living in and experiencing temporarily right now. A lot happens in the heavenly realms. God himself ordains things from the heavenly realms that actually then come true. There's a lot of things we'll try to ordain here on earth. We'll speak a lot of things on earth, but it doesn't always happen, right? But whatever God ordains from the heavenly realms happens. So, for instance, in chapter 1, verse 3, you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to look at a couple of these real quick. Chapter 1, verse 3, it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Where? In the heavenly realms. And it says that we have been chosen. We have been adopted. We've been redeemed. We have been forgiven because of what God declared ages ago in the heavenly realms. So Paul kind of opens up this window and he says, now look at this. Look beyond your current time-space world and look at what God has done for you before you were even born. God has loved you. God cared about you. God determined that he would save you, rescue you, redeem you, choose you, love you, all in the heavenly realms. So Paul's saying, now look, something's happening here in a world outside of your own. And then in uh, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 20, Paul goes on to describe how um, Jesus himself, after he was killed, he resurrected from his tomb. Then what happened? He ascended, didn't he? He went through the clouds, went straight into heaven, and he walked and he took his throne in the heavenly realms. And so there, there's a powerful picture of our Savior's authority as he took his throne at the right hand of God, all in the heavenly realms. And it says then that God placed everything under his feet and made him to be the head of the body, the church, which is us. 
So we see a picture of Jesus who physically, physically is seated on his throne in the heavenly realms. Then chapter 2 says this, that when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive in Christ. And then if that wasn't enough, it says somehow, mysteriously, he took us and he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. Now that's a very powerful picture of the believer's authority today on earth. And that's not the subject of today's message. I wish it was. I love that message. But it's just a picture of Paul opening up this window into an unseen realm. And we have to be able to be a people who live by faith and who accept these spiritual truths in order to have victory and to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Because if everything we do is based on how we feel, how we think, and our circumstances in this temporal time-space world, we're going to struggle. And we're never going to become the people God has destined us to be. We have to be people who see things with eternal eyes. Paul said in Romans that he doesn't fix his eyes on what he can see, but what he can't see, that's where he fixes his eyes. Because what we can see is temporary, but he said what we can't see is what? It's eternal. This is one of the powerful ways where we're separated from unbelievers. Unbelievers can only see what's happening right here in this time-space world. We're called to be a people of faith who see beyond that, who see into eternity. And so in some mysterious fashion, we're raised with Jesus and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. It's a picture of the believer's authority. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, it says that God's intention was that he would take the church and through the church, he would demonstrate his wisdom his manifold wisdom to all the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. That's God's plan for his church. That he would funnel his wisdom, his power, his righteousness through us. A lost people who are saved. And then we would be on display for all the rulers and authorities. Now, we don't know exactly what all of that means. There's mystery in all that, isn't there? But yet we believe it. We accept it by faith. Accept it by faith. Then in chapter 6, verse 12, it says that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is not in this temporary realm. So whatever's coming against us, it's not people we're to fight. Our spiritual warfare belongs in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. And so in each one of these instances, again, it's like Paul saying, now look, open up a window outside of your current experiences, outside of your current struggles, outside of the things that disappoint you and frustrate you. Have a look into eternity and see the goodness and the sovereignty and the power of your God. Let that empower you and take you along to the next thing that God has. Our, uh, our text this morning is going to be in chapter 4. And um, four of these scriptures that I just mentioned to you about the heavenly realms, 
he speaks prior to getting to chapter 4. So six chapters in Ephesians, the first three chapters, he mentions the, the heavenly realms four times. And then he goes into his application. He goes into application. So chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. <clears throat> Paul's saying, now look, I myself, I'm a physical prisoner. As he's writing this, he's in a dungeon. And he's saying, but look, as a prisoner for the Lord, I'm seeing into the heavenly places. I'm understanding the will and the work of God beyond this realm. And he's saying, now I'm urging you to live a life worthy of this calling that I'm laying out to you. He's saying, now look, I'm holding you accountable to these things. This is powerful, transformative truth. We will be held accountable. And then he goes on and he talks about the fact that God has given us ministry gifts. I'm sure many of you have heard of the fivefold ministry gifts. We have the apostle and the prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And those guys are here not to entertain us, contrary to popular belief, but to equip us and to mature us so that we will do this very thing. We will live a life worthy of the calling that you and I have received. Do you know that you're called by God? And I'm not just talking about some general sense in your salvation. That is true. But do you know that God has called you for a specific purpose to do something that nobody else can do? He's called you. Do you know what that calling is? Paul's exhorting us, live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Now let's go to chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to go ahead and get into our main text here. Are you with me this morning? Four seventeen, And Paul starts out simply, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. That's a very important phrase. Paul's got lots of important phrases here. There's only a couple of times in the New Testament as Paul's writing where he actually calls the Lord into the picture to be a witness about of what he's about to say. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord. In other words, I'm calling you into account with God himself as a witness to what I'm about to tell you. This is He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In light of the spiritual truth that's coming through these words, Paul's saying, now listen, don't live like it's not true. Don't live like a Gentile. Don't live like a pagan, like a heathen, like an unbeliever. He's saying, now with Jesus here, bearing witness to all that I'm saying, don't live in the old way of life. Don't revert back. Don't go backwards. Our kingdom is a kingdom that is meant to press what? Forward. Forward. God's power moves us forward, not backwards. The only time we're going backwards is when we choose to go backwards. 
We just make a conscious choice. And Paul's saying, now listen, be careful. In light of everything you're learning, in, in light of this wonderful revelation of God's goodness to us in the heavenly realms, don't go backwards. Press forward. And he goes on to talk about the state of the Gentiles or the unbelievers. And he says, now, these are people with hardened hearts. They're born hard-hearted. How many of you can testify if you've had kids that, you know, human beings are born hard-hearted? It just happens. It's that sin nature, you know. Born hard-hearted. Then he goes on to say the result of that is that there's a darkness in their minds. There's darkness in their minds, and they're futile in their thinking. Meaning there's so much darkness caught up in their heads, they're trying to live out of their thinking, and they're going nowhere but backwards because of it. And he says they're separated from the life of God. Cut off from the life of God. Paul's warning, don't take that route. You could still go backwards if you choose to. Paul's saying, you don't have to. You don't have to. When our hearts go hard, our minds go dark. That's why we've got to be on our guard against hardened hearts. Because when we get hard in here, we get foggy, we get flaky. Everything gets misty and dark up in our minds. And Paul says, we then become like the heathen. We're living out of the futility of our minds. It's futile to live in the dark, isn't it? Have you ever tried to do anything in the dark? I said this in the, in the first service. I said, once, I don't even know if my wife knows this, but one time when we had just brought our child home from the hospital and uh, just a brand new baby, and uh, in the evening, you know, it's time for him to go to bed. He was groggy. He was close to being sleeping. I'm thinking, I can slip him in the bed, nice and quiet. He's going to sleep. No issues. I'll be able to have a decent night the rest of the night. But I had to change his diaper, so I tried to do it in the dark. In the dark. Now, I'm not going to explain what happened because it's really bad, but um, I'm just going to say this. I had to take a shower afterward. <laughs> it's futile to do anything in the dark, isn't it? Try fixing a car in the dark. How much harder is it to fix a life in the dark? When our hearts grow hard, our minds grow dark, and life becomes futile. There's a, a couple of things I want to pull out of this text about um, a hardened heart. Number one, a hardened heart keeps us from understanding the will and ways of God. Verse 18 says, those with hardened hearts are darkened in their understanding. It's like that window into the heavenly realm that Paul has so, so nicely opened up for us. It kind of closes with a hardened heart. The only interest we have with a hardened heart is only what we're experiencing right now. Just the difficulty, the frustration. We don't see with spiritual eyes into eternity and see the plan and purposes of God. Number two, a hardened heart causes us to experience a slow death. Verse 18 says, Those with hardened hearts are separated from the life of God. A hardened heart puts a stranglehold on the life that's in us, that God has put in us. John 15 says what? That Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. Hardened hearts is like taking a hold of our, our necks like this and squeezing ourselves around the neck. Now, we wouldn't do that in a natural, would we? But when we allow our hearts to go hard, that's what we're doing. We're squeezing the life out of ourselves. 
And I'll tell you what, there's times when the devil, who is our enemy and the enemy of God, who will put people in our path to say really dumb things, hurtful things. And the whole, the whole goal here for him is to harden our hearts. Because he knows if he can get someone to say something stupid to us, and if we can get mad enough, we'll harden up against that person. The fact is, when we harden ourselves against a person, we are going to harden ourselves against God. We cannot do it. And the reason is, it's because we've only got one heart. We don't have two hearts. We don't have like a left heart and a right heart. And if the left heart gets all offended, mad, and bitter, and hardened, we still have our right heart to love God with. We'll still stay, you know, soft and tender. No! No, it doesn't happen that way. We've got one heart. One heart, baby. That's it. When that heart gets hard, we're hardened. We're going to be hardened against everyone. So Paul's warning us here, don't be like the Gentiles and have a hardened heart. Number three, a hardened heart keeps us from hearing the Lord. Verse 19 says, those with hardened hearts have lost all sensitivity. When our hearts go hard, we end up in a desert place. We can't hear anything. We particularly can't hear from the Lord. God is speaking all the time. And the only reason why we won't hear is when we harden ourselves against Him. When we harden ourselves against Him. Number four, a hardened heart makes us prone to sexual sin and perversion. Paul says um, in verse 19, those with hardened hearts give themselves over to sensuality, lust, and impurity. I know that I've had to um, work with and and counsel a number of people that uh, were struggling with sexual sin. And it always comes back to this thing. Somewhere along the line, they hardened themselves. And they stayed hard for so long, a time came, they just wanted to feel something. They just wanted to feel some pleasure of some sort. They just wanted to be happy one way or another. And so what happens? The enemy throws a temptation in front of them. It has the promise of a little bit of good feeling there, a little bit of happiness. And so they just dive in because they've been hard-hearted for so long. They've they felt the pain of that numbness for so long. They just want anything, something that makes them feel something. And Paul says very clearly, this is what happens. They give themselves over to sensuality and then to every kind of impurity. You see what happens when we harden our hearts? There's such a long line of things that happen to us. It just breeds so much ungodliness. It's worth defending our hearts. It's worth it. The the book of Proverbs says this, that out of our hearts comes the issues of life, meaning that we live out of our hearts. But if our hearts are hardened and crusted over, guess what? No more life. God brings life to us into our hearts, and then it's meant to affect everything else. That's why when our minds, when our hearts are hardened, it goes to the head eventually. Our minds get darkened. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Let's go to verse 20. It says this, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's giving us some very specific instruction here about how to come back from a hardened heart, how to come back from a place where life is hardened, life is difficult, we're in a place of sin, we're in a place of darkness, and we need to come out. And it's much more than just repentance. I don't know about you, but, you know, in my life, I learned how to say I'm sorry very, very well. Do that well, you know. You do something wrong, you get caught, you're sorry you got caught, therefore you're sorry for what you did. If you didn't get caught, well, you know, maybe you're sorry, maybe you're not. It just depends on the day. But Paul's taking us to a further point here because so much is on the line. There's so much that we have to defend. He's saying we have to get not just repentant, but there has to be a cleansing of our minds and then a putting on of our new selves again, coming back into our identity as believers in Christ. If we don't do that, we're just setting ourselves up for failure again. Setting ourselves up again. So repenting is the first step, and that really does address the heart. Repenting gets our hearts free from sin that can encrust it and hold it down. When we repent, God just waters our hearts again with His mercy and with His love. Freedom comes to our hearts. But it doesn't just stop there. We've got to deal with the way that we think. We've got to deal with the mind. And so that's why Paul says here, not only take off the old self, but then be made new in the attitudes of your minds. Our minds have to be washed then in the water of God's Word. We need to address the way that we think. So repentance is wonderful, but the next step is going to the Word of God and allowing God's Word, which is our standard of truth, to begin to wash us and challenge the way that we're thinking and allow it to change the way we're thinking. The battle is always in the mind. If you read through the book of Romans and Paul talks about sin and how to deal with sin, he's always talking about the mind, winning over in the mind. And so when we're born again, God saves us, obviously. All of us are saved. We're sealed for the, for the day of redemption. We're sealed for eternity. We're going to heaven. But there has to be a continuing sanctification, a continuing work of redemption, a continuing work of redemption and recreation in our minds. And it's only the Word of God that will do that. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. By the renewing of the mind. We have to get to a point where we get back to a continual renewal that happens in our mind. Meaning, another word for renewal is revival. We need to hold revival in our minds. Revival is when you come back to truth. And you feel a sense of the awe and the majesty of God and the power of God's word and a a new lease on life and understanding God's will. That's got to happen up here between our ears because everything in this unsaved natural world wants to combat that. Everything that's thrown at us is meant to hold us down to get us only looking at the temporal. Our minds need to be renewed so that we see past the temporal and into the eternal. And then he says we're to put on our new selves, which already has the pattern of God's righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. The fact that we are 
chosen believers. We just talked about this out of Ephesians 1.3. Open up that window a little bit into the heavenly realm. Chosen, predestined, called, adopted, forgiven, loved by the Savior. Remember who we are. And in these things, what do we see? We see the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, don't we? Because when Jesus died, his physical body was done, right? Buried. And then they took his body, and what did they do? Well, they washed his body, cleansed his body, anointed his body. And then after that, he came out of the tomb in power and glory with resurrection life for all of us. That's the pattern that we have to live by. We're meant to experience that. It's quite interesting. We actually kind of see a pattern of this in everyday life in the mornings. You know, if you're like me, you probably need a shower every day just to get yourself going. I know I do. I am, ask my wife, Susan. I'm nothing without a shower. I just, I need that sense of washing. So what happens? We get up in the morning, we take our sleeping clothes off. You know, we get in the shower, we wash ourselves up. We get out and we put on new clothes. God worked that pattern even into the natural. Taking off the old, which is always wanting to be corrupted more and more, being cleansed, and then putting on the new. We do it every day in the physical. Why does it, ex- it escape us in the spiritual? It's a pattern of spiritual life. This is what God wants for us. When we're stuck in the, in the grime and the dirt of, of just sin and hardness and people sinning against us, us sinning against people, us sinning against the Lord, people sinning against the Lord. And we're stuck in the muck of it all. It's time to say, Lord, I repent. I'm taking this off right now. And I want you to cleanse me according to your word. I want spiritual truth to come through to cleanse my mind of all the junk that I've believed. And God, I want to put on the new person that you've already created me to be. That person that is already created to be in righteousness and true holiness. It's a wonderful thing. It's a gift to us. The Lord didn't just save us, wash us once, and expect us to be on our own. Whatever happens, happens. Go down the tube. No. Continual renewal. Continual washing. Continual empowering. Continual receiving. John 15, Jesus says, He's the vine and we're the branches. There's a continual flow of life from the vine into the branches over and over again. It never stops. It never stops. Paul's saying, now look, I'm holding you accountable to this. Live a life worthy of the calling. I'm saying this in the presence of Jesus himself. I often like to um, think about the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. And everybody knows that, I'm sure. If you've been in church for any period of time, it's a favorite passage for preachers to preach out of. So what happens? Rich father, two sons. The younger son is tired of working and earning. He just wants to go and have fun. So he asks his father for his half of the inheritance. He goes, he goes to town, he squanders it all ends up broke and hungry and decides he was much better off at daddy's house. So he's going to crawl back. And in his shame, in his shame, all he wants to do is say, Father, just receive me back as a hired servant. Just let me be a servant. I don't need to be a son anymore. I just want to be a servant. I'll be happy. 
Can I please do that? So he goes back and he asks his father that. And what happens? The father doesn't agree to that little plan at all. What's the father do? Well, first of all, the father washes his son by telling him, look, you still belong to me. You're my son still, and we're going to celebrate you. There's a sense of just washing him with love and acceptance. And then the next thing he does is he puts a robe on him, on his shoulders, puts a ring on his his finger. He just restores his son, his son's identity. That sense of washing and restoring of identity is so powerful. It's God's plan for us. Because life on earth is hard sometimes. It can be painful. Especially when people sin against us. Especially when we want to be mad at people. Paul says, look, that's not the way to go. Don't allow the enemy to harden your heart and have everything that comes along with that, all that darkness in your mind. Come to the point of repentance. Allow the Word of God to cleanse you and just begin to remember who you are in Christ. It's a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work. It's not a, a, you know, a six- or 12-step method meant to just help carry you along. It's a supernatural empowerment of the Lord to raise us up from a place of death into life in Him. Again, it's just the fact that from the vine life flows into the branches, and it continually does. And this is how we make sure that that life continually flows. This is what God has for us. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've ever considered the fact that there's another realm, a heavenly realm, that we're actually a part of, from where God is is calling out our destiny. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you've struggled with a hardened heart. I know I have. Everybody does. But I just want to encourage you, don't stay there. Don't stay there. God has a better place for you. Maybe you need renewal in your mind. Maybe you need that revival I was talking about. God has that for you this morning too. This is an opportune time to leave here in a much better place than the way in which we came. I don't know about you, but I don't like to waste any any meeting times. Because the Bible says, wherever two or three are gathered, that's where Jesus is. So the Lord's here with us this morning. He wants to cast His blessing and His freedom upon us. So if you're not free this morning, I believe God's going to help you. Let's all stand together. I'd like for us just to um, maybe have a little bit of silence this morning and just come before the Lord honestly with where you're at right now. The Bible says that if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. It's a good thing just to get honest with yourself before the Lord. Take stock of your heart and just begin to ask God to free you and to cleanse you if you feel like you really need that. God wants to take you to another place this morning in Him. Then after that, I'm going to pray, and then Brian's going to lead us through communion this morning. Let's just take a minute.
Jesus, this morning we say thank you for your redemptive work on the cross in our behalf. Jesus, thank you for setting us free. Lord, when we were dead to you, living in the filth of our own sin, thank you for dying on our behalf, taking our sin upon yourself, earning for us the freedom that we could not earn, giving us your righteousness, your holiness. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, this morning we do lay before you all our faults, our bitternesses, our frustrations, the imperfection of how we live, Lord. The times when we ignore you, Jesus. The times when we walk away. We say, Lord, we want to come back and we want to know you more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone here struggling, Lord, if they're in a place where um, they are hardened, Lord, in their hearts, God, I, I pray for deliverance, Lord. I pray that the blood of Jesus would come, soften their hearts and set them free, give them hope. Thank you for that. If there's anyone here this morning and you've never asked the Lord Jesus to come into your life, If you don't know if you'll go to heaven, if you don't know if there is a heaven, the Savior wants to meet you this morning. You can be free from the weight of sin. And you can receive eternal life. You can come to know Jesus today. If that's you, I want you just to come see me at some point when we're done. I'd love to pray with you.